Uh, we put a timeline now starting. Hello, everyone. Well, it's getting close, so, well, there's no denying it. We might as well just do it. Hang on a sec. Well, you might as well get on board of it because it just seems to happen. Halloween came when and now we're on the run to Christmas. So hopefully at the start of every week, if I can get away with it, I'm going to play some status quo Christmas songs, which may or may not work because I don't exactly know how many they have. We're recording this on a Saturday evening and I'm not alone this week, so you don't just have, have to put up with my voice. I have Mr. Guy Cyril. There's a gap there. I'm going to have to head out from the MyMac podcast. Guy, how are you in your part of the world today? I am doing just fine. Now, uh, I, I wanted to say real, real quick, uh, thanks for being on the, the MyMac podcast. I guess that was uh, two weeks ago. Yeah, that was a laugh. Oh, that was one God. of the best ones. <laughs> total total train wreck of a show. And for for people that, that don't understand what train wreck of a show means in... in in the kind of way that uh, Mark and uh, Carl and myself and Gaz, the way the way that we podcast, where you know we're not really expecting at any point f- for the BBC to come and say you guys are brilliant and to throw us a ton of money, so it has to be fun and it has to be lively. And the train wreck shows are always the most fun because you have no idea what is going to happen from one moment to the next. It was also partly powered by consuming a little bit of alcohol too early in the day as well, because we came up with adult diapers, Yeah, which I well, think are that, actually that, already a thing. That was, that was you, Mark. That was you. I cannot be held responsible <laughs> for being slightly inebriated on the MyMac show. And it's not as if like so you're going to come knocking on the door going, oh, right, you know, in fact, if anything, we'll probably um, be written about in times of future to go, this is how you don't do a podcast. <laughs> exactly. A shining example of, yep, this is what happens when you don't prepare and you let an idiot on your show. Or if there's two idiots that just happen to be there. No, but I mean, I half expect half the time. You know, and then I open up the door and that's, you know, and then it's the end of everything. Well, we were talking, fully enough, just when we came on the show, we were talking about new media. Uh, and I, what, how did we get on to Was it that Jim Dalrymple, I think, has moved? Or that I just checked his blog and I'm reading a really old blog. But you were saying about how new media has changed from what it was back in 2008 to what it is now. Well, it's, it's actually changed quite a bit, going back farther than that. I mean, some of the earliest, I mean, if you think back to when, Apple first made podcasts a thing in iTunes. You're looking at like 2003, 2004, something along those lines, whatever, whatever the version of iTunes was that was out at the time. And the MyMac podcast was, was one of the early, early podcasts that was out there. And of course the, the MyMac podcast was started by uh, Tim Robertson and Chad Perry. I came in, doing segments around show 30 something and became a regular co-host, you know, to everyone's benefit or detriment, depending on how you look at it around show 100. And now we're up to six thirty-two, something like that. I mean, it, I've been doing this, I've been doing the my Mac podcast for a really, really long time. And, but even back then they were talking about new media and new media then was things like podcasting and there were some people that were experimenting with a uh, video on YouTube, but it's, it's not like, I mean, you actually have now people that make a living, a very comfortable living doing videos on YouTube. And there's like YouTube. And I, I almost hesitate to use the word stars, you know? So you went from, guys in their basement, which, you know, that's the level I never really left to these big conglomerates now starting to, to get involved and new media went from like almost an entirely amateur based kind of, kind of thing to now where there's, there's corporate sponsorship. 
there's there's like all of these other companies that are starting to get into it because the 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 cost of getting into new media is so much less than traditional broadcasting. You know, trying to create a new network the old way is, you know, those days just are gone because it just doesn't work like that anymore. So you'll have you'll have companies like well like YouTube uh, Netflix and, you know, Apple's now starting to get into this Hulu, you know, all, and I'm, I'm sure that there's equivalent companies elsewhere in the world that can take people that don't have a lot of experience, but give them some relatively professional equipment and they'll figure it out and they'll come up with some really brilliant stuff that you would have never seen on uh you know american networks like cbs or abc or the bbc or you know whatever they have in france you know in germany and, and all the rest of that for for their networks so the concept of new media is is constantly shifting i hope i wasn't too long in that no the good thing is though is that new media may be shifting but you still get new media douchebags oh are- yeah that's easy Oh, we've, I'd see them in some of the places that I go to for work. It's like, what do you do? And uh, I work in social media marketing communications. We oh, adopt God. a synergistic approach to it. And it's like, oh, shut up. <laughs> please, please die in a fire. Okay. Die in a fire. So, so you know nuts. There's a story on, I'm going to put this, I'm, I'm actually doing the show notes as I go along. Get me. I, was it, I think it was either Six Colors or Mac Stories. Um, they did an article on how to get up and running for podcasting for under a hundred dollars. Sure, it can and, be done, and that's still quite a high budget. I always, I'm quite proud of the fact when I started, I just used my iPhone, and providing that I was in an echoey room or the wind was blowing, uh, you could get away with it. And it's, it was all about telling the story and people you know, speaking to people in a way that engages, and hopefully, every now and again, you might actually be informative, unlike this show right or the my mac podcast we're gonna do some mac stuff then uh, some apple apple mac i keep forgetting what to call it now uh, it's been a funny old week uh, with everything that's been going on did you but we'll start with the most important story of the week did you how have you seen the new top gear a la the grand tour you know i have seen it it, it was this this gives you the idea of the power of of new media um now, of course, I've heard of Top Gear. There, there's the the UK version, and then there was the the much less. Um, I can't even think of the word. Uh, much less uh, watched American version, and then of course the whole blow up. I like that version though. I've got to say, it was really. I never watched it. It was really dire to start with because you could just tell they got three presenters and go right. Yeah, chaps, you probably haven't spent much time with each other. Go off and have camaraderie. And it was so stiff and almost awkward to see these three guys trying to do the UK Top Gear. And they did drop all the things like the star in the car and, you know, all that sort of stuff. It just went for the whole, you know, three guys just mucking around in cars. But I enjoyed it towards the end. I was actually quite sad that they uh, they cancelled it. Well, you know, I love cars, but I've never really been... Uh, I you know never went out of my way to watch Top Gear either version, um, but to to get back to to you know talking about new media, I heard uh, Tim and uh, David Cohen on the latest Tech Fan talking about. Uh, I'm sorry, what's the name of the show again? The new show that they're doing, Grand Tour. Grand Tour. That they were talking about Grand Tour. And I didn't really understand what they were talking about because I'd seen references to it uh, you know, on Facebook and Twitter, but because I don't really follow it, I was, I was thinking, well, this is like some kind of car race or some kind of, you know, bicycling sport or something along those lines. And it wasn't until I heard David and Tim talking about it on tech fan. It was like, Oh, it's, it's the three original hosts from the UK top gear with, and that's the name of their new show. And uh, I, I think I will be checking that out, but basically I knew nothing about it, heard something about it through new media, and now I'm going to check it out. It's been all over the TV here. Amazon have really gone all out. And I enjoyed it. I've got, it's, 
it's and like Amazon is, for, Amazon is another one of those new media companies. And they seem to be doing well, although we have, I think we have got a story coming up if we have time about their new prime music offering. I, I really haven't paid attention to that, if I'm honest with you. But coming back to um, Grand Tour, I really enjoyed it. It's like getting in from work, knowing that you've got tea already cooked because you put it in a slow cooker. You haven't got to walk the dogs. The fire's lit. You've got a couple of beers there. Taking off, putting on your fat pants, finding your <laughs> slippers. And when you put your slippers on with no socks, it's like the most comfortable slippers in the world. And sitting back and watching something oh so familiar, but oh so improved. And you could just, if you watch the opening segment where the guys are all driving through the desert, and everyone's probably seen it by now, they just genuinely look as if to say, wow, you know, we're still doing this. And yes, granted, it probably does cost millions upon millions of pounds to do this stuff. And that always makes a lot of people happy. But it just felt. It just felt right. Like they were coming home. Yeah. It just felt like, you know, the shackles are off a little bit. Admittedly, it's only episode one, uh, but being released on a Friday, it's like, ah, get back from work, do a bit of exercise, sit down with a beer, watch Grand Tour. And it's quite funny, you know, because I keep up to, previously I'd be saying to myself, oh, I'm going to sit down and watch a new Top Gear. But now Grand Tour is here. It's actually set, it's actually uh, ingrained itself into my mind, if that makes sense. And the best thing about the best thing about shows like this is because it's not on a traditional network. It's not like you, you you're sitting there saying, "Oh, I've got you know five minutes for a pee or whatever before the show's going to start." It's on demand content, so you watch it at your own leisure. You watch it when you want to watch it, not when the network is is you know being kind enough to to feed it to you. And this is and this is why I feel sort of sorry for like the the traditional broadcasters because their revenue is only ever going to go down it's never ever going to go back up so they're just doing all these things like when you like here in the uk we've got itv or channel 4 is the worst one for this you go to watch a video you've got to go through about three what was it i was watching a show and every single show had about three and a half minutes of pre-roll of adverts and then you'd still get the adverts in the traditional advert slot I'm just, and it just makes watching so torturous. In yeah, that well, I mean, and those are the companies that are going to fail at it. Like right now, and, you know, complete tangent here, uh, CBS, uh, Columbia Broadcasting System or service, whatever it is, uh, they now own the rights in this roundabout, weird-ass way of Star Trek, which originally was an NBC show made by Paramount formerly Desilu. But anyway, they have a new Star Trek show that's supposed to be coming out in January, though I think that they've delayed it. But this is the show that they want to use to kind of highlight and get people interested in their paid-for service. So CBS has like this, this, you know, online access show that has access to a bunch of older content, which is great. And then the kicker is going to be this new star Trek show that actually, let me, let me go back a little bit. They're supposed to show the pilot for the show on regular broadcast CBS, but then also on this new online service. And then after the pilot, it's all going to the online service. You won't be able to watch it through regular broad broadcast means. And you know, it's not super expensive. It's like $5 a month for this service. But the problem, the problem with that, and it's part of the problem with having on, not so much on demand, but a la carte programming is every, you know, none of these, none of these services are really banding together into a a single package that you could offer somebody who wants to cut the cord. Instead, it's like, no, I want my $5 and I want my 99 cents and I want my two ninety nine, and I want, you know, this and I want that. And before you know it, if these are all networks that you're interested in, you end up spending more money than you would have to get the, the four or 500 channels that you get from your typical cable subscription. So question for you then, yeah. Apple with a unified login, 
Do you think that's Apple sort of admitting that they're not going to be able to get the bundle? Let's say, let's call it an Apple bundle where you could have any program you want streamed in a way that you want it. Is this unified login a sort of step to say, right, we know we're not going to get the deals that we want, but at least let's get you access to the content that you're after easily. Or, or at least the content that the content providers will let Apple have. And, you know, this is, this is the same problem that you're going to run into with the Roku box and the same problem you're going to run into with the, with fire TV and all of these streaming boxes that the services, you know, all of these services aren't free services. You know, it costs somebody money to create this content, to get the servers running to offer the content in such a way that you can download it relatively quickly. And, you know, somewhere along the lines, somebody has to pay for it. And currently it seems that the, the, the revenue model is geared toward paid subscriptions. Well, the problem with paid subscriptions is that people don't want to pay that. You know, they, they, they think of television or they're starting to think of television like it's YouTube and you just jump from one clip to the next and you see your little video and you move on from there. But even YouTube now and Hulu and so many of these other services are starting to do pre-roll ads. They're starting to do ads during the content. As a matter of fact, my wife likes a lot of the programming that's on uh, the national geographic channel and they're starting to insert ads as, as you're watching it. And this is, you know, this is the old school model that's kind of being rebuilt for the the next generation. The problem is a lot of the people that want, that would want to advertise on that show don't understand the concept. You know, they're used to saying, uh, well, Big Bang Theory gets, you know, a, a Nielsen rating of, you know, 60,000 million, whatever, you know, whatever their rating is. And so therefore a 30 second ad on the big bank theory is going to cost X number of dollars. Correct me if I'm wrong. Are the Nielsen ratings a bit like what we have here in the UK where it's only a certain amount of people in the UK are actually subscribed. And so from those people, they say from those few people, it's like saying, well, if let's say 60 people out of a hundred watch the big bang theory, then that is the most popular program. But it's just, it it just seems, yeah, it, couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah. It's a tall crap. You know, it, it, it's, and, and it's a, it's a method of looking at viewership that is becoming more and more irrelevant because now with, with on demand streaming, you know, how many people actually watch the show, you know, how many people actually downloaded the show. And that is a, a more accurate telling of the, the type of audience that you actually have and advertising through those shows, because, you know, Google knows so much about you. Apple knows so much about you. Amazon knows so much about you that if all of these companies that want to sell you stuff would just realize that, you know, you don't necessarily need to know that. I want to know about say adult diapers and Viagra or, you know, whatever, but Apple would know, Google would know, Amazon would know and would craft ads that meet the criteria of stuff that I might actually buy instead of showing me commercials on broadcast TV about feminine hygiene products, because I don't care about that stuff. But based on, prior purchases based on, you know, social media and all the rest of that. Ah, well, well guys interested in, in X, Y, Z. So let's show him ads about X, Y, Z stuff. And I would be more, sorry. Or or the worst thing is when you've got a, I actually find it scary just what follows me around. So I was looking for a light bulb the other day and I just happened to type in LIFX light bulb, which is brilliant Mm -hmm. by the way, because I get to come home. I have to turn on the light switch complete first world problem solved and then every single advert now is like oh light bulbs oh wireless light bulbs oh here's another light bulb and oh yeah even stuff that i've done like say within facebook or something i would completely disassociate from 
a search engine starts coming up in the uh, targeted advertising, and it's oh yeah, it, it actually it's actually worrying. Coming back to the the media thing, yeah. Do you, I mean, it was announced this week that Apple to cut video fees. Um, sorry, Apple's cutting their fees for video services from thirty percent down to fifteen. Or sorry, allegedly going to cut the cut the fees according to Bloomberg. Do you reckon that will make a big dent in the world? Um, it's it it's kind of hard to say because uh, Apple has the highest margins of any of these companies that are that are offering us content right now, and because of the complete dominance, uh, not so much now but uh, earlier on in, in like the early aughts of iTunes and music, so many of of the video companies are supposedly learning from the mistakes that the music industry made with Apple without ever thinking about the fact that the music industry before iTunes was dying and that something like iTunes saved them. It, it, you know, yeah, Apple took their cut. Of course, Apple took their cut. They took a 30% cut, but these music companies no longer had to put out CDs they no longer had to ship stuff all over the world that may or may not sell in a music store. That's like this close to going out of business to begin with. And, you know, it's just re uploading the same file over and over and over again. So their costs dropped at the same time that so many more people were, were buying music. And I just wish that the, the video companies would get on board with this and understand that it's not just, you know, DVD sales and it's not just Blu-ray sales and it's not just people that are signed up for HBO and Showtime and Cinemax and, you know, the other companies that are showing you movies at a scheduled time each month that on-demand services with a slight cut taken out for whoever it is. And I'm not just talking about Apple, but for whoever it is, that's streaming this content up. This is where, this is where the industry is going. And you jump on board early enough. You can become one of the leaders of the new business model for, uh, for content, or you become another also ran farther down the road. Do you ever see a time where Netflix or maybe even Amazon Prime would be part of the Apple TV app? Sure. Or, really? Well, I mean, Netflix Netflix is is on Apple TV now. Um, eventually, you know, the, the problem is Apple as a company, they look at all of these different services as, you know, this is, this is, this is what we do for these people. So this is what we're going to do for you too, without ever sitting there and thinking, you know what? There's a lot of people that are interested in, uh, content from Netflix. Now that they're creating their own content, there's a lot of people interested in content from Amazon and HBO and Showtime and all of these other services that are now producing their own content. And a lot of these companies like HBO, for example, has their own streaming presence where you want to watch, you know, you, you want to binge watch the last four episodes of uh, games of Thrones or whatever. Well, you can, you don't have to wait until the next time that it comes up through the, the regular HBO service that that's on your cable box. So we're it, you know, everything is moving in a, like an inch by inch kind of way, instead of somebody really, really smart and saying, okay, well, uh, Amazon with the, the fire system has X number of subscribers and Apple with the Apple TV has X number of subscribers and Netflix has this and Hulu has this and just saying, you know what, why don't we just kind of bundle these on demand services into one package and we share the revenue, but they don't want to share the revenue. So that that's why, you know, it, it's like they go just so far and then they stop and they pull back. And it's like, God, just give the people what they want instead of, instead of worrying about your bottom line right now, think about 
how much more you're going to make in the future because you're one of the pioneers of this new way of distributing content. Yes, but that involves a different way of thinking. Yeah, and that involves, you know, stepping outside of your comfort zone. That involves, and more importantly, it involves taking the dreaded R word, a risk. Yeah. Well, you know what? There is no growth without risk. And if all, if all these companies want to do is, well, we just want to keep things the way they are. Well, that's, that's not how technology works. That's not how the human race works. It's you either move forward or like the dinosaurs, you get hit by an asteroid and you die. At least it's moving forward in the US, albeit very, very slowly, because in the UK, we're not even going to get the uh, Apple TV app. And I pretty much, I would be amazed if it, if it was to happen over here. We'd probably get some of the more fringe channels, like we've got Freeview over here, which is over, sure. the, over the air um, broadcasting. Probably some of those would sign up. Uh, I don't think that would be a good thing, but it would need one major player to get on board. This this sort of takes us in nicely, talking about the price of things. The next story we've got is about a certain plumber game um, <laughs> being too exp- too expensive. Now, I, if I could just interrupt the flow of the show here for a little bit, I want to I want to do a test. If you're out there in the world and you think Mario Run is too expensive, let's try something. Your left arm, find it safe if you're driving, don't do it as long as you're safe. Take your left arm and put it out in front of you. Okay? Then take your right hand and grab your wrist and then try getting a grip. Go, try getting a grip. $9.99 for a game. And people are apparently going bonkers because that's too expensive for an iOS game. And I'm thinking, it's the sort of. I just don't get it because you know people will pay like two dollars for stickers. Yeah, that were that they will probably use for maybe a couple of weeks before they get bored and move on. Well, especially if they're like holiday themed. Exactly, and people will pay for them. And I was thinking about this. You know, this is like a triple A title from one of the most fiercely protected um, intellectual properties out there. Yeah, Nintendo. From a co- yeah, it's from a company that doesn't sell cheap games. I mean, look how much it, I mean, blimey, I remember when I was a lad, you know, <laughs> an, an NES cartridge back in the day used to cost about, what, £50, about $60? Sure. And it's, all right, the prices have come down a little bit, but they've, they've sort of almost stayed the same in some respects as the technology gets better, therefore you have to put more content in, so you're replacing the hardware side with the software side. But it just beggars belief that people would think that nine ninety nine is too much for a game. I, mean, I had a look on the Mac App Store today, and all right, yes, this is a Mac game, and maybe it's not quite relevant. But the featured app today, uh, and I've written to these people. Hopefully, they get back to me. Is well, okay, that's not a good example. Uh, one sec, let's find it here. Tyranny, that's the word, and this is thirty four ninety nine. All right, it's a desktop game. But it's still a lot of money, and I just don't understand where the thinking is that people say, oh, it's too expensive, because the price of anything is always dictated pretty much by the market it will bear in. So, like, for example, you buy popcorn in a cinema. That is horrendously expensive. Sure. Oh, yeah. But it's the price you expect to pay. And I, yeah, I'm going to put my hands out and say, you know, kudos to Apple and Nintendo. Say, yeah, release a game for $9.99, because it may hopefully drive the price of games up so we get a better content, a better style, a bit, games that are more updated rather than, you know, just all the trashware ones that you see. Yeah, I mean, if, if you if you want a crap game, go ahead and spend 99 cents, play it twice, and then delete it off your phone because it's a crap game. You know, I mean, I'm I'm willing to spend a little more money for a game or for in-app purchases for a game if that game is engaging. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of just complete and utter garbage out there. As a matter of fact, you've got a story later on kind of talking about that. And, you know, but, but if you want something that is going to keep you engaged, it's going to be from a company that, you know, that, you know, isn't going to disappear tomorrow. Well then, you know what? You, you got to pay for that. And I'm sorry that, that, you know, the world isn't going to take you by the hand and pat you on the wrist and say, 
we're sorry. No, you don't have to pay $7.99 for this game. You can pay 99 cents. There you go. You know, pat you on the head and send you off to bed with a glass of water. No, you know, companies have a right to stay in business. Companies have a right to make a profit. If they're not making a profit, then they don't stay in business very long. I didn't notice that nobody mentioned or batted an eyelid when F1 2016 from Codemasters, that came out at seven ninety nine, and that's quite a big IP, but it just seems to be that $2 or £2 difference, well, that's enough to shake the rules from its very, you know, from its very axis. Yeah, I, I don't get it at all. Um, I don't know if I will buy Mario Run because I'm not I'm not a huge fan of the the endless runner type games because it it just seems like okay you go you go you go you go I need a break oh damn the guy died and now I have to start all over again so you know I I don't know I the endless runner type games typically I'm I'm not that interested in yeah I'm I'm with you on that. I I'm tempted to get it because I've just started I've become a bit weird and done a bit of live streaming on YouTube normally when I'm a bit under under the influence and I think, well, I've got nothing else better to do on a Saturday night. Uh, it's going to be interesting. I, it's going to be a surefire hit. People are going to want it. I think once Nintendo see just how much money they're obviously going to get from this, it's basically the, the starting block. Uh, oh, yeah. and it's, it's hopefully going to different. It's different enough. So when they release that new console, what's it going to be called? The spark? Oh, um, Oh, my son, my son, Peter, who's, uh, he loves Nintendo games and he was, he was talking about, I actually told him that he should get together with some of his friends that are like super into all the Nintendo stuff and and do a Nintendo show, a Nintendo podcast. Why not? Yeah. Why not? This again, this, it's almost like I've planned this podcast once because the next story um, Apple's App Store purge removed almost 50,000 iOS apps in October, apparently a 238% increase. When was the last time you searched for something on your phone, and did you manage to find what it was you were looking for without going through all the gump? Um, no, there's usually, there's usually the, the, especially if you don't know exactly what it's called. Well, I think it's kind of like this, or it's somewhat, somewhat similar to that. Well, then you're going to be in a world of hurt because you've got to go through maybe pages of just stuff that you're not interested in to get to the one that you are interested in. And part of the problem as well, uh, a lot of these developers, and, and I'm not saying all of them, but a lot of them, they put a game out, they get some initial traction with that game, they make a little bit of money. And then they walk away from it. You know, a, a lot of these developers as well, they're like one or two people working out of their home on the weekends or something along those lines. And I get that. But then don't turn around and be surprised when, if you don't update your app for, you know, some of the new call-ups in, in, in iOS, when it goes from, you know, iOS six all the way up to 10 and you're not keeping up with that app. Well, eventually Apple's going to look at it and say, you know what? You haven't done anything with this in a long time. And and most of what this app does just, you you can't do easily within iOS anymore. So we're going to get rid of you. Well, don't be surprised. I suppose there is the other argument to say that if they are purging all these apps, we are going to lose some absolute classics that may still be working or may not work fully. Do you think that's a fair trade-off to say, you know, if you haven't updated your app, it's gone or should there be a little bit more lapse? Uh, well, the app, the app isn't actually gone. As long as you have it on your phone or iPad, or you still have it in iTunes, your personal iTunes, uh, the app isn't going to go away. You know, the app will stay there. It's just eventually it's probably not going to work. So, you know, I mean, this still comes back to, you know, and, and God, I don't know how far you want to go into this, Part of the problem that, and this is something we actually talked about on the MyMac podcast, part of the problem that, that Microsoft runs into is they've got all this legacy software and there are companies out there that are still using applications whose origin dates go back to the 1990s or the 1980s. <laughs> but because my last job, uh, yes, it's dead. <laughs> They're using software from 
pre two thousand, which is just ticking over and just about it for all intents and purposes it's abandoned where yet they're so entrenched into that software they're having to basically reverse engineer it just to keep it going yeah and in instead of finding new solutions to an old problem or or getting with the 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 developer of that software and going look you know we really like this software we're willing to pay because i'm i'm you know all those people that are reverse engineering it they cost money too you know, we're willing to pay you to update it so that it'll work within the tools that Microsoft provides for Windows 7 and up. But you've you've got to kind of meet us halfway and, and give us something that is, you know, doesn't have its roots in DOS 3.1 or, you know, something along those lines. But Microsoft is is kind of trapped with Windows because of a lot of this legacy software that you know, they can't do what Apple did when they only had 2% of the market and completely switch up the operating system from uh, OS nine to OS 10 or OS X. And that was, that was a, a huge move by Apple, but because they had such a small market share, they could do that. And they put the time in to make sure that there was backwards compatibility long enough so that the developers that were still interested in developing for the platform could update their applications to work within the new frameworks of the operating system. But they are are sort of heading there with windows 10. They are really, really pushing it in almost quite aggressively. They really are dragging people along and you're right. They have to, you know, they, they can't deal with, you know, and, and it's part of the, part of the reason why, and, you know, I'm sure there are people that, that know much more about this than I do, but it, it's part of the reason why Windows is such a, is such a, a virus magnet is that they have to include all of this legacy stuff. And, you know, it's probably really, really hard to keep track of, of all this functionality that you would just love to throw into the trash, but you can't because applications ABC require that to work within the frameworks of uh, Windows 7, 8, or 10. You're, it's a tricky one, because I actually experience what it's like when an app doesn't get updated, and when an app does get updated. Now, my favourite at the moment radio player for iOS is called Radium, and it serves, it's been my trusty companion in the car for ooh, as long as I can remember, and it works, but it hasn't been updated. And I actually got a message pop up on my phone saying this has not been optimized for iOS 10. It may, I think it was impair performance. Or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But so I thought, okay, well, I've got to tune in. I'll, you know, I'll go over to June. I don't quite like the interface is a bit too clunky, but tune in is ad supported. Okay. I don't have a problem with that. What I do have a problem with is every single time I open it, you get an advert that comes up, and it's one of those really scummy adverts, which then switches you, switches you into the app store. Have you had that happen? Sure. Yeah. And so, I mean, so, and it's like a little a little video that plays, and you don't get to. I mean, you have to basically watch the entire thing until they finally give you an X button to close it out. But half the yeah. time, they hide the X button in such a way that you really have to look for it. And if you click anywhere else on that screen, boom, you're in the app store, not in the app that you actually want to use. And you have to look at whatever it is that, you know, that they have on their, their splash screen for that application in the app store. Or they do the really, again, I'm going to use the word scummy trick again. If they give you a touch target, which looks like a close symbol, uh, and you tap on that and it's not, it's actually part of the advert. That's got me a few times. Sure. Uh, yeah, me and too. They, you go in, and then this is what happened to me the other day. I went and reported this to TuneIn. I got a reply back two days later to say, oh, when did this happen? What advert was it? And it's like, okay, so you want me to... I kind of get the point. Yeah, I should have made a, a date and time. And unfortunately, now I've taken screenshots. But what are they going to do? And it, what makes this whole situation even more grating on me is that before you get to listen to your radio station, you have to listen to a pre-roll advert that they put in before you get to listen to your content. And then you have to listen 
uh, then you have to put up with the adverts. Yes, and because, you will. And so if anyone out there has a iOS radio player alternative to tune in, get in touch with me. And, um, oh, I'm all over the place today with this. I practiced this as well before I came. It's like, um, uh, oh, um, it's like every single thing I tried not tried to practice to not do. I'm doing. If you're out there in listening land and you want to recommend an app, you can get hold of me at Essential Apple on the Twitter. I'll tell you what. We're going to take a very quick break now. And we're going to hand you over to Mr. John Nemo, who's got the M Juice power cable, which is quite handy because this week the Amazon Black Friday deals are on. And you'll be able to pick them up for a bit of a deal. So, John, over to you. Nemo's Hardware Store is back with two products. The first one is called M Juice. M J O O S E. M J O S E. It's a three in one battery pack for the iPhone 6 and the 6S. No version is available yet for the larger plus size or for any of the 7 family. It comes in white or black, snaps onto the back of your phone hole in the upper corner for your camera, another hole in the bottom for the headphone port, and they do include a very helpful headphone jack extender mini cable. So thank you very much for that. That really comes in handy. You have access to all the buttons and the ports on the sides because they're exposed and the front is exposed, and you slide your phone into the lightning tip that's embedded into the bottom, and then you charge up the M-Juice and that charges up both the internal battery of your phone and the external battery on the battery pack. On the back, there are two little switches, one of which activates the extra battery power that you get from the battery, which is almost 3,000 mAh, enough to charge your phone up one and a half times at least, and also a signal boost. So this case is unique in providing physical protection for the back in addition to the charging and the signal strength. You must look at the links that we provide in our show notes for M-Juice. The white case they sent is a very attractive, sort of a soft, rubbery plastic, and it does add a little bit of weight and bulk to your phone, but it does provide that extra boost and juice. Price in the U.S. is between $110 and $130. So this is a premium case for people who really need that extra signal strength and the extra battery power. When you have a traditional case on and you want to charge it using the lightning tip, a company called Paracable, P-A-R-A-C-A-B-L-E, sent us five foot or one and a half meter lightning to USB cables that are $24 in the US. And Mark will have the links in our show notes for the UK. These are extremely high quality cables with aluminum tips and a beautiful braided, strong paracord cable on the outside. You know how much I like these super, super strong cables. I wish you could see the colors and the very good, durable construction of these paracables. So today, to reiterate, we've got the M-Juice battery and boosting case, and we've got the Paracable Lightning Cable, both durable, high-quality products that we are proud to present at Nemo's Hardware Store. Thanks for listening. Back next week. Cheers, John. Thank you, as always. And again, you can get hold of John over at MyMac.com. The, let's have a look at what are the prices here. The 5-foot, 1.5-meter lightning cable for iPhones, iPad, or iPod are going to sit you back $23.95. But there is a special promo at the time of recording where if you purchase two, you'll get free US shipping. And sorry for all of you out there like me, based in the UK, we don't get this offer. But I will speak to them and see if there's anything we can do. Yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to when they start doing lightning to USB-C Thunderbolt 3 cables. And then, you know, part of this part of this whole, you know, dingle dangle dongle thing will will go away. It's ridiculous that you have to use a dongle for an Apple iPhone into an Apple computer. That is that's just a little nuts. That that's I'll tell you what, we'll oh yeah, we'll come back to the no, yes. No. We will bear that minded thought. Let's go into the next story about, uh, what's it on the list here? Yeah, Apple is rumoured, rumoured to be launching three new iPhones next year, one with OLED. Now, everyone's banging on about Apple must do OLED. Apple must do curved screens, and let's face it, with the Samsung phone, yeah, it looked good, but if it was really that popular, surely, surely everybody else would have copied it, unless 
we're that tied up in trademarks and patents that nobody else could do it. And if it was such a good, if it was such a good technology and if it really took off, why are they not doing more curved screens? But that's a whole by the by. The OLED side of things is interesting that, yes, it does give a better color gamut. Yes, it does. Oh, no, sorry. No, it doesn't. Hang on. Let me come back to that. No, I forgot where I was going. Yes, I've remembered now. OLED is better. (laughs) I've been practicing. keep going. Yeah, let's just I'm not editing this. Sorry, I haven't got time to this. I'm already three days behind. So, from what I've read, OLED is better for showing blacks, but that's about it. It actually uses more power. Did you know that? Are you able to verify that? Or do you know anything about OLED? Who, me? No. I, you know, to me, if you were talking about um, larger screens, and by larger screens, I mean like iPad size screens, that would make a big difference to me because. I, you know, on a larger screen when, when I'm watching movies or whatever, yeah, I, I would like to have the the deeper blacks and the brighter colors and all the rest of that. But for a, a four to five inch screen on a phone, I don't care, you know, and I don't think, I don't, I don't think most people care. I, I don't, I don't think something like an OLED screen is going to entice people to buy uh, one phone or, or another. And I don't think the curve screens did either. Well, this is the thing. OLED, again, this is just from very, very basic research. If you are there no better, get in touch with me via essentialapple.com. OLED apparently uses more power, which goes against, you know, everything Apple would try to do. Sure. And surely we're at a point now where year on year on year, Apple is still using the LED or OLED. No, not OLED. You know, they're using the same screen technology as they've been using previously, but it's getting better and better and better. So surely there is going to get a point where the trade-off for what they can do with that technology versus jumping to to this other technology is just not going to be worth it because it's almost as good. It seems, it sort of seems like shoving new technology in for the sake of shoving new technology in. Because then you've got the whole thing of, okay, you've got an OLED screen, brilliant, but now we also want a Touch ID sensor without the button. I've got no idea how that would work. I'm sure Apple have got some brilliant super idea for it. Um, but I just don't, it's, we just don't seem to take stock and go, well, okay, maybe what other reasons are there for this? But again, we are talking about the Apple press and let's face it, Apple is doomed every day. Well, I don't know. I don't know how doomed they are every day. Uh, I know there's a lot of people that get mileage from that in the press, uh, but Apple certainly hasn't been shy. Uh, you, you look at the uh, the latest MacBook Pros. You know they dumped practically every port from them to go with USB USB C and th- you know combo. Let me start that again combo USB-C Thunderbolt three ports and the, the trade-off, you know, there's always trade-offs when you're going to jump from one technology to another. And with the the new MacBook pros, the trade-off seems to be, well, we're going to go ahead and push through with this, knowing that the rest of the industry will catch up to us. So a, a lot of this new stuff that starts to come out, and I, I would not surprise me at the next CES to see this, where you get a lot of uh, printers, cameras, you know, all of this stuff that, that uses USB 2 currently switching over to USB 3, because that's, that's where the industry is going. And it's just a question of how soon other manufacturers are going to start to use it. If, if you think back to the original iMac, people lost their minds because all these different ports went away because Apple went with the original USB. Well, it turned out that was, that was the way to go. They lost their minds because the floppy drive disappeared. Well, you know, who wanted floppy drives not long after the original iMacs came out? All that stuff, all that, you know... There's always a trade-off. There's always something new coming out, and it's just a question of what's going to stick and what's not going to stick. With something like 
Thunderbolt, the original Thunderbolt, and, well, for that matter, Firewire. Because there wasn't a lot of other companies jumping on board with these connectors, it made that equipment very, very expensive. But there's a ton of companies that are still using or that are, that are jumping on board with, with USB-C. Number one, there's a lot of laptops coming out with it which you didn't see with Thunderbolt and you didn't see with Firewire. So it, it's, it's a question of how soon will these companies come out with the equipment that normal people want to use that's going to be USB-C Thunderbolt 3 versus USB 2 slash USB 3 slash Ethernet slash, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever port it is that that's no longer on the MacBook Pros and is starting to kind of disappear from other laptops as well. You've probably rant, covered, rant, 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 rant. I was going to say you've probably covered it, covered all this on your show, and I'm a little bit behind on my listening to the My Mac podcast. What's been your thoughts and Gaz's thoughts on the new MacBook? Have you gone and fondled one, or have you just sort of stood back and listened to the press? What's been your uh, opinion on it? Um, I. I don't really see the need for me to get a new laptop right now, but at the same time, that doesn't mean that Apple should stay stock still and, you know, bring this stuff up. Oh, ever so slowly is like that. That's not what Apple does. Apple typically pushes the envelope. And if you look at how much negative press there has been on the fact that all of the other ports have disappeared off the Mac laptop and they just have USB-C Thunderbolt 3, well, it sounds like Apple is pushing the envelope again. And yeah, for now, if you have a need for all of these other ports, okay, you're going to have to use dongles. But it's not going to be that much longer before all of those same devices are going to be connecting via USB-C. And by the time I get to the point where I need a new laptop, because I'm currently, I picked up a 2013 15-inch MacBook Pro for about 900 bucks uh, four or five months ago. So I'm good for now. But by the time I get to the point where I need a laptop that only has USB-C Thunderbolt 3, I'm not worried about all of the different peripherals that I may need to hook up to it because they'll all have caught up. Do you think that, well, sorry, yeah, you've just said it. it. Apple have gone quite far ahead of where they've seen things in terms of design going. Uh, I went to the Apple store last week. I saw the new MacBook and I went, no, is is this a MacBook Pro? No. Is it? It's so skinny. And Actually, I haven't seen it, but I mean, just based on it was uh, a, what, what there's been in the past. It, yeah, it looks like it's, it's it incredibly light. It's incredibly skinny and... Okay, it only you can only put 16 gigs of RAM into it for for 90% of the market. Actually, I would say probably 95 to 90% of the market. 16 gigs, you know, I'm just going to sound like Bill Gates here. 640k is enough for everybody. 16 gigs of RAM for most people right now is plenty. The fact that they don't have a 32 gig model or that you can't have 32 gigs in it. Well, if that's the kind of performance you need, look at a different solution. Seriously. You know, I, if you, if, if whatever it is you do as a professional can't be accomplished on the new MacBook pro, start looking at other alternatives. That's how you, you know, vote with your wallets. That's how you tell Apple whether they've gone too far in one direction or another, you vote with your wallet. And if, and if a lot of the, hands up in quotes here, professionals don't buy a machine like this, then, you know, maybe they'll pay attention. But if, even if they don't, you know, Apple is no longer really catering to the pro market like they did when, when their market share was so small there, it's, it's a big, it's a big company. Now they've got all, they got their hands in, in all different kinds of pockets and, you know, they'll do what they can to, to help the professionals out, you know, you've got final cut pro you've got logic, you've got like some of these, some of these other uh, programs that are geared more toward the professional market. 
But that's not where Apple's focus is now, for better or for worse. That's not where Apple's focus is. Yeah. The thing with the whole 16 gig of memory is I think people are only looking at the fact, oh, well, it's only half 16 gig. But they've worked so hard on the underlying ground and the substance of what makes OS X now that memory is more efficient than what it used to be. They keep yes. evolving and evolving. And it's part of the reason with Swift, I would imagine. The whole memory management is a lot better. And yes, okay, the SSD is soldered in, but there is some technological gains for that because when it's soldered in, there is a nice trade off. And I believe I'm right in saying this that it's actually a little bit faster, a bit more integrated. It's actually on the bus. There's no third-party peripherals. It's actually part of the machine. So you've got RAM and you've got the SSD, which I imagine are working at such blisteringly fast rates that even if it was hammering a swap file, you've got an SSD in there which takes up the slack. So I would not be surprised if if they have if they have taken that into consideration. Just on a final point, do you think this is the start of the trend for Apple now where you buy a you buy the core, you buy the machine, you buy the base unit, and then you customize it to how you want? Or are people still hung up in the past of, well, it hasn't got a VGA port and it doesn't have a DVI-D port? Apple are letting you buy a powerful computer and then customize it your way. Do you think that's where they want to go? Or is it too soon? Yeah. I, th- I think... Um the days of getting into your Mac and adding RAM or putting in a larger hard drive, you know, hard drives are basically, I think we're one generation at most away from no spinning hard drives in any Apple product at all. Um, those days are gone because Apple isn't really all that interested in catering to the people that make a lot of changes to their machine. And, you know, and if that's what you're into, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing because Apple doesn't want you to do it. I'm saying that's the direction that Apple is going. And if for whatever reason you want to be able to have a machine where you can swap out your memory or you want a machine where you can swap out the SSD, then you probably should start looking at alternatives because Apple isn't going to be the company that, that does that for you. Now on the flip side of that, um, you know, Apple sells in such quantities now that you can't test every single component that uh, each machine, you know, you, you can't have a person stand in front of a computer and say, well, let me, let me check the Ram and let me check the SSD. You know, they're basically pulling, you know, one of one out of a thousand or so out and running those kinds of tests on them. So there is the possibility that you get a brand new machine that comes to your door, you open it up, you fire it up, and there's something wrong with it. Oh, did the you problem- see that article in if there's an article in Apple News where it's made the press that I ordered my Apple MacBook Pro and it arrived to me broken. And you yeah, think well, how is that news? It happens. It's like all well, the millions yeah. of units are gonna ship of everything and like this one time someone orders a MacBook and it arrives broken. It's oh. because they're they're precious little snowflakes that 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 you know everything has to go perfect for them. Well, you know, life is messy. So you know, yeah, it sucks. And it may cause you some problems. And you may need to go to an Apple store and have them give you a new one, or you may have to do this, or you may have to do that. Well, that's, that's, that's life. And it, that's a a real first world problem. When you consider what's going on in other parts of the, of the globe and your biggest problem is the laptop that Apple just sold you didn't work when it showed up at your door. That's, that's like the only thing you have to worry about. Yeah, it's it. Well, we come back full circle. Like my biggest worry is like, when I get home, it's dark. How do I turn my light bulb on before I get through the door? <laughs> you, you How times have changed. Your smartphone. I do. It's actually um. I've actually got a, a, an app now which is location aware. So when I pull up in my in the driveway, the light it actually comes on. on. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. So that, that's like an if if this then that kind of thing. Yes, it's exactly that. It's the LIFX bulb. I'll put that in the show notes. The only downside is I wish it worked with Apple Home, but I suppose it does what I want it to do. 
So I don't really have to complain. It's, and it's, um, it's quite handy as well, because if I forget to turn the lights off when I go out, it'll turn the light off as well. So again, another first world problem solved. Admittedly, it's probably not saving me anything in terms of electricity because there's a small no. Wi-Fi chip in there. But it's good to know that I can come home. Well, and plus also these are these are what LED bulbs or yep. whatever the the latest greatest you know energy saving bulbs are. Well, if you had that bulb running seven days a week, twenty four hours a day, as compared to the old incandescent bulbs, you you know you could run an incandescent bulb for a day. And not and probably not hit as much actual power used by LED bulbs in a month. Yep. And also they they've got it's got a very nice light dispersal as well because I've had some LED lights and literally just shoots the light right down. Uh, This has got like thousands and thousands of colors. I'm I'm really really happy with it. Uh, Just assume it costs forty dollars for a light bulb. But I did get it on Kickstarter, so I got it uh, vastly, vastly reduced. Ooh, that well, and be. plus, they last five, six, seven times longer as well. Yeah, and I'm hoping as well that when the inevitable time comes and it does go boom and I can't use it anymore, I hope that it's going to be slightly more ecologically friendly than those traditional energy-saving bulbs that are just full of poisonous, noxious gas. Well, these are also filled with poisonous, noxious gas, but... Um, there's, I mean, most of the places that, that you buy electronic goods now are set up with like small recycling centers and, and they don't do that out of the goodness of their heart. They do that knowing that if you're this close to the store to drop off some recycled bulb, maybe you'll come in and buy something else. And, you know, it, it's okay for companies to, to have a pull like that to get you back in the store. That's fine. Yep. So that's, that is the LIFX bulb. And again, if anyone out there has got a similar recommendation, you can get a hold of me via Essential Apple on the Twitter or via the EssentialApple.com website. Well, you know what? I think we've got a show. I think so. And it's a under full, an hour. Full ranty type of show. Yeah, Rant, just a ranty. shame that the host was obviously a bit subpar this week. But Guy, thank you <laughs> once again for coming on. Uh, we, again, last minute superstar. Where's your Where's the other guy? I've te- I've um, tweeted him, and he's uh, is he all right? Is he still around? Does he podcast? Who Gaz? Yeah, uh, he's actually doing. Uh, there's a reason why we didn't record the MyMac podcast today. He's he's doing. I think two rugby games, and one of them I think is like sixty to ninety miles away. So there was no, no way outside stuff. Ugh, yeah. Yeah, I know. It was pretty, I mean, even, even here in the States to, to go 60 to 90 miles for, um, you know, something like this, that, that would be a lot, a lot farther than I would typically be comfortable going, but okay. You know, it's something, it's something that Gaz really, really enjoys and, you know, more power to him. He's certainly in much better shape than I ever will be. I uh, know the feeling. I've got. A, I was supposed to get on the old exercise bike today, but uh, it's brilliant. I, I've been using technology to help me ride, but the problem with technology is you find an app and you go, "Oh, there's another app. Oh, there's another app. Oh, there's another app." But this app does this, and this app does that. So I spent instead of the time actually I would have spent cycling, I spent the time looking at apps to help make me cycle. So I've, right. I've, I've got to, but you don't actually get to the cycling part. No, which is something I've got to do after this show. Right. <laughs> Guy, again, thank you very much for coming on. If people want to get a hold of you, where can they find you and how can they reach out to you if they so wish? Uh, you can reach me through uh, email. Guy at mymac.com is my email address. I can be found on the Twitters. Uh, my Twitter handle is Mac Parrot. I don't have the sound effect. Wow. I think. I thank you, Gaz. Yeah, yeah Gaz has. It. Gaz has it. Um, we also have a uh, a Skype telephone number for the My Mac Podcast one seven zero three four three six nine five zero one. You can, you know, if there's something on this show that that you thought I was totally off base on. You can go ahead and call that number one seven zero three four three six nine five zero one, and we'll probably play it over on the MyMac show that we're recording tomorrow. Uh, where else? Um, MyMac podcast, of course. Uh, I do that every single week, or almost every single week, with the infamous Gaz Maz, who is um, oddly enough the saner part of the G Men. 
and he can be reached gas at gas. Well, I'm usually sober, but being sober doesn't necessarily make me lucid. Okay. That's how that works. I am. I'm originally from South Florida, grew up in the seventies, which means that I've got more than a few screws loose. Uh, but that actually makes for a very interesting, very interesting podcast. Usually go back and listen to the one that we were on the, uh, two weeks ago. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, maybe entertaining. Yes, definitely. Oh, very, very. Brilliant. Are you going to get like lots of top notch, you know, tech crazy information? Probably not, but, but you'll have a really good time listening. And every now and again, we do stumble on something informative. Every yeah. There'll be a nugget. Gas, sorry, Gas, blimey. <laughs> Guy, once again, thank you very much for coming on the show. Uh, you can get hold of, like I say, you can get hold of me at EssentialApple.com via the Twitter at EssentialApple, and the show notes will be up on the EssentialApple.com website for everything that we've talked about with relevant links outwards as well. Thank you again to Mr. John Nemo, and we will see you soon. Well, hold on a second. Oh, uh, don't, you, don't you also have a, a Patreon page? Oh, yes, I do. Uh, did you hear the the uh, the stinger that I, is it a stinger or the loop or a jingle that I did for Teresa? No, I did not. I will send you that because it was a bit of editing muscle. Yes, if you do like this content, you could make a very very small donation via Patreon. That will also be in the links. And of course, the final shill. It's Christmas. It's coming, whether we like it or not. <laughs> If yep. you are going to shop at that big mega conglomerate of soul-sucking profit called Amazon, if you are going to do it, do some good and use our affiliate link because we get a very yep. small kickback for whatever you buy. And this is very, very important. If you're good at something, never do it for free. <laughs> and on that note, cheerio, everyone. <laughs>